0: You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.
1: Well, it's not Richard Franzi. It's Paul Roberts, who normally sits here silent and engineers the show and helps produce it. But today, uh, Rick is in Jamaica. He's all the way in Jamaica. He's on vacation, and he asked me to fill in uh, as we had uh, set this interview today. And we did not want to cancel it or play a repeat, so we're privileged to have with us today. I hope I saw you this correctly. I should have asked her beforehand. Debbie Fragner, is that it?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Okay, I didn't. I didn't muffle it. Usually, I'm good for one uh, one screw up here. Well, before we start the show, those of you who have uh, listened before know that Rick is a big believer in peer learning. He really believes that you can learn from the experiences of others, and he's particularly big on bringing in nonprofits and charitable organizations, partly to highlight them, partly because he believes in that, and partly because he believes businesses should be involved, should find some charity support, and can learn from the same business challenges that they have, can apply to your own business challenge here. So today... We're privileged to have with us Debbie Fragner, who is the founder and executive director of Children's Cerebral Cerebral Palsy. I always want to say cerebral, but cerebral palsy, right? Movement.
2: That's absolutely fine, however, you'd like to say it.
1: Okay. What is Children's Cerebral Palsy? I I, I think I know, but make sure I understand it here. What is it? And then tell us how you got into this.
2: Well, Children's Cerebral Palsy Movement is a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit, that uh, actually started uh, formally in mid-February of this year with our 501c3 determination, and our commitment is to stand in the gap for all children with cerebral palsy and to reshape their future. Uh, so I'd like to tell you a little bit about that today.
1: Okay, and what? before you tell us about it, what drew you to this cause? Was this something uh, personal Uh, story that drew you into this? Had you just been in uh, non-profit work before? How did you get involved with this movement?
2: Well, you know, thanks for asking that. As a matter of fact, I've never been in nonprofit work before and indeed this could not be more personal. I happen to, to be the mother of a nine-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy. And for nine years my husband and I have been standing in the gap for our daughter, realizing the extraordinary need uh, for early intervention, critical early intervention, as well as taking a whole body approach to healing. Hmm. And so we we've been very, very busy doing that. Um, you know, in terms of my own background, um, I actually have 23 years of professional sale, mid level sales management experience. Mm-hmm. I'm a graduate of UCLA and worked, was fortunate enough to work for a number of Fortune 500 companies like Starbucks. Walt Disney, Nestle, Swarovski-Crystal, etc. And, you know, in in my career, I found that what I was best at and what I loved the most uh, was in building powerful committed relationships mm-hmm. i was very very good at that i am very good at that and i also have an extraordinary creative spirit i'm a real innovator at heart and so it really excites me to make something out of nothing right. and uh so that's a little bit about um, about my background. So your
1: daughter was born. She was born with cerebral palsy?
2: Yes, actually, um, you know, I was happily doing my career and, and uh, ended up getting married for the first time late in life. And my husband and I were, you know, blessed enough to be pregnant. Uh, and lo and behold, my daughter was born three months premature mm-hmm. at a very low uh, birth weight of less than three pounds. And uh, in utero, she ended up having a traumatic brain bleed, oh. uh, which you know made for a very complex uh, couple of months for her in the beginning in the neonatal intensive care unit, and uh, really set the trajectory for what our last nine years have been like.
1: Yeah, changed your life over or immediately. Here, changed
2: right? changed our lives completely. But and not, you, you know, not all, not did all. Did you that.
1: have to? Did you have to stop working and become a caregiver? Were there resources that you could tap into, or was? It in, so I can't imagine what you do with a child with cerebral palsy. It's that, got to be a twenty-four hour a day need.
2: You know, this is. Uh, you know, cerebral palsy is in a way kind of like autism Uh, there are various degrees of severity and uh, in our particular case our daughter is age nine and although she's progressed so tremendously and several doctors have actually referred to her as being a miracle child Mm, just because of the huge huge strides she's made based based upon you know her hard work and our efforts um, the reality is at age nine she's still presently unable to stand or walk on her own, and she wears braces on both legs. So, you know, Paul, to answer your question...
1: That's the image I have in my mind of people who have uh, cerebral palsy, or I think of... What what did FDR have? Did FDR Franklin Delano... Polio. Poly, he had polio he so had
2: polio and i'd like to be talking about that a little bit today yeah
1: so uh, they all seem to blend together in my mind here to separate cerebral palsy here and, well, and define it for
2: us i here. just i just want to say something here so to answer your question because because my husband and i just knew intuitively that early intervention was going to be the key to shore up our daughter maddie's Long-term prognosis and function. Yes, I absolutely walked away from corporate America, from the life that I knew, and devoted every moment of my day, every every moment of my day for the last nine years to you know caring for her, absolutely, uh, which you know her needs are great, advocating for her, and making sure that she got she's gotten all of the therapy that she uh, that she needed. Um, cerebral palsy. You ask me, you know, to kind of define it for yeah. you. Uh, it, it's actually extremely common. I didn't realize it at hmm. the time. I but didn't either.
1: I know palsy is uh, has to do with movements or shaking movement. My mother had alls uh, had Parkinson's, which is another sort of motion disorder or whatever. But I, I don't know where. I don't know enough about cerebral palsy. What causes it? How it relates to other. Uh, diseases as well, muscular dystrophy and all the other things that we see so much.
2: You know, uh, Paul, it's actually it actually occurs very, very frequently. It occurs in one out of 323 live births oh, wow. in America. Uh, it is very often related to prematurity, um, but it could also happen, you know, up to age two it could be diagnosed up to age two it's the most common motor disability Mm -hmm. even much more prevalent than muscular dystrophy and you know we talk about one in 323 children I want to really put that in perspective for you uh, from a national perspective there are right now 500,000 children under the age of 18 with cerebral palsy in America but what I have come to find out is that there is woefully very little funding for rehabilitation hmm. for these for these children and as a result of my daughter's expressed desire to learn how to do something new in the fall of 2014 this was something this was an activity that had you know previously been thought to be completely impossible mm-hmm. for ch- for children with cerebral palsy and you know I have to be honest and say it stymied me for quite a while but you know being the red charger that I am I I dug I dug in I started doing tons of research reading you know, research articles on cerebral palsy, on Parkinson's, on stroke rehab. Mm -hmm. I started burning up the phone wires literally around the U.S. and Canada, uh, bending the ear of every cerebral palsy expert, dance expert, researcher, medical doctor, you name it, that I could get my hands on, and I found out a couple of things in the process. I found out that, um, you know, based on some real advancements in the realm of Parkinson's and stroke, because there is money for that kind of mm-hmm. rehabilitation.
1: Absolutely. We've uh, had the Stroke Foundation in here last week, and we certainly had a lot of people talk about Parkinson's disease. It's, uh, as the baby boomers get older, there's greater and greater occurrence of both of those.
2: Yeah, so absolutely. So what I found in doing this research is that, you know, there were some promising results that were stemming out of Parkinson's and stroke rehab that, I that you know, myself and these experts felt that we could parlay those results. We could stand on the shoulders of, of that very good data, and we could adapt some some of those interesting techniques and does this have to, to children do with brain
1: with stimulation because obviously parkinson's and strokes affect your brain there's some part of your brain that it becomes dysfunctional here or cut off or shut off in a stroke. And I'm, I'm guessing by the name, cerebral, cerebral that has something to do with the cerebellum, the brain here?
2: Yes, with the brain function. But what we were finding uh, from from the rehab in these various areas is that if you take an activity that is highly motivated, motivating to an individual and you do it with rigor, and with frequency and in the presence of live music hmm. that actually that primes the brain for neuroplasticity or rewiring that the brain could actually be healed. And so as I'm talking to these wow. experts, I'm thinking, wow,
1: the brain can rewire itself somehow around the damaged area here.
2: Isn't that isn't that amazing? So what so, they've
1: hoped of for uh, people that have uh, that are quadriplegic and whatnot. That some find another way for those things to function here, or with stroke victims. I know that my father had a stroke before he died, and it was that learning to redo things again here, find another way to teach his brain to do that.
2: Well, so exactly. So you know, I I was becoming you know i went from kind of a place of dismay or depression into a place of wow hope. you know hope that there were some really intriguing things that could be done but at at the same time that i was you know reading the research and learning that um i actually started finding out some other things that i didn't know that were very alarming and that is that you speaking know speaking of
1: alarms we have a fire engine drive by her,
2: but <laughs> You know, as it turns out, these 500,000 children in America that I mentioned to you, uh, you know, the situation is actually much more bleak than I ever would have known. Uh, because I was focusing on my own child but it, it turns out that once these children age out of the system at mm-hmm. age 18 you know suddenly as we already talked about there has been very little funding. Uh,
1: they're on their own. D- they're, they're basically the families have to take care of them from that point on.
2: They're basically right. on their own. There are very few doctors that know how to deal with them. There are no therapies of course at that point you have a situation oftentimes, of social isolation mm. very limited physical Activity. And what
1: do they just tell you that we've tried everything? That's it. This is this is their. Your daughter's going to be like this for the rest of her life.
2: Well, you know, I have to tell you from the way the medical community has treated cerebral palsy is that it's a static, non-progressive condition. It is what it is, hmm. and make the most of it. But I have to say that from the very first moment, whenever anyone ever even insinuated that to me, I basically said, "Talk to the hand. I'm not <laughs> listening to that." We have, a, we have a different plan, and we put that in place. And it was because we didn't listen to that, and we invested our lives, our money, our time uh, in early intervention. You know, my daughter's for nine years, Paul. She's done up to ten therapy sessions per week on top of full-time school. And she's wow. in general education. Uh, and so you, you can only imagine just how. So you
1: have in the general education population. She's not in a special needs class or whatever.
2: Uh, we started out there. But, you know, she's a very bright and capable girl, and she works extremely hard. And so we were able to, you know, bridge over into general education. Mm-hmm. We've been delighted to be there. Um, All of
1: which, for those of you who don't know, I know something about this because another terrible – I adopted a girl who had special needs, and she we had to get her into these classes. And it, yes, they're wonderful. But if you can bridge over, as you said, into regular classes, it's much more demanding. You're really challenging your daughter uh, at, at a very much higher level, and and she has to pick up on stuff much more because there's fewer te- the teacher to student ratio is much grade or whatever it is more kids uh, each student each teacher's watching right
2: well imagine having a general education classroom that has on average 32 children in it with one teacher and you know they're not necessarily equipped to have a child with special needs so although on the one hand it's been extremely important to be in a general education world for our long-term Um, you know future and success it is not without its challenges because that limited funding that i mentioned to you that at a national level that uh, relates to research and rehabilitation also dovetails directly into the education system and there's very little money educationally to support these kids either
1: let me just take a quick break let's let some of this soak in and then i really want to dive into what is it that you're doing to, reach, to achieve these miraculous results and then what your foundation is doing or what your movement is trying to do to spread this to others. So hang on. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors.
0: Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, Richard Franzi in the search box.
1: All right, fascinating stuff here. Um, Let me see if I can summarize this again. So your daughter was born with cerebral palsy, and the doctors say this is a static condition. It is what it is. It will never get better. So you can make her comfortable, you can help her as much as you can, but she's not going to improve. That's basically what, that's the diagnosis for cerebral palsy.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: And you said, no. I look at other things like strokes and Parkinson's and whatnot, brain stimulation, other sorts of programs, and they're having great success or some success getting people to improve. If they can do it, why can't we do it?
2: Well, yes, although, Paul, you know, I didn't realize that nine years ago. We just knew intuitively that we needed to dig in and do the right thing, and the right thing was early intervention because we knew about this thing called plasticity. But it really wasn't, and, uh, you know, the, the as The brain
1: I, can rewire itself right. if you get to it. it they always say in strokes, at some point, if you get to a stroke victim early enough, the brain will rewire itself at some point it hardens and it becomes tougher for it to rewire itself
2: and you know wouldn't you if if you had you said your father had a stroke stroke, if you had an opportunity to get him help would you get him help or would you just let time pass and just see what happens
1: no we absolutely would get him help because they told us that with help and early intervention he might get better no promises no nothing but there's a possibility But if you're telling me my child is born and they say, that's it.
2: Well, so that's what they told us. But, you know, I want to skip ahead, if you will, because okay. here, you know, I, I told you I was doing all this research. I told you I suddenly became very empowered with some knowledge mm-hmm. that, you know, I felt compelled that somebody had to do something with. And at, were the
1: doctors um, supporting in this or were they saying, oh, you're wasting your time. We know this This, well, is, this is, is what it is. Well,
2: you know, what was being said is I was, you know, I was, I was building some strong relationships at that point. One of my early relationships was with this phenomenal neurologist and CP expert, Dr. Mindy Azen, and she said, Debbie, I know, you know, all of this is just so disheartening. Yeah. You know, it, it impacts her own family. But she said, you know, there's just no funding. And I said, well, somebody has to do something. Uh, and Why she, is there
1: no funding? With, with a, uh, This isn't an orphan disease. We've had people come in with orphan diseases where there's so few that there's just no money in developing treatment for it, they think. Well, this would seem like if there's that many cases of it that there would be, funding for it because there's a lot of people out there with this problem
2: well very good question and and the answer to that question is that um people with cerebral palsy largely have no voice in washington dc there has uh, there's been no national spokesperson that has been raised Hmm. to stand in the gap for this diagnosis so i'm going to i'm going to be telling you that i aim to change that but in this conversation with mindy azen she said debbie you know I said, somebody's got to do something. And I said, yeah. if no one will, I will. And she said, Debbie, I will volunteer my time. I will help you in whatever way you can. Build the field. They will come. So, Paul, that's what I did. You
1: created your own 501c3 non-charity. That's a, a tax status for charitable organizations, 501c3, for those that don't know. And it allows you to raise funds and to, uh, and to qualify as a nonprofit and to... I, are you looking for grants and other corporate underwriters and stuff here? Or?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm looking for all of that. But specifically what we did, I, I never did tell you. I teased yeah, you a little bit, but yeah, I didn't right. tell you what I, that I dream was. I it had something
1: to do with dancing, I thought. Okay, or so
2: my daughter in the fall of 2014, you know that daughter that presently can't stand or walk on her own, uses mm-hmm. a walker and wears braces? She says, Mommy, I want to learn to dance ballet. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you know, a yeah. big thing. But all of a sudden I'm empowered and I'm thinking, okay, not only am am I going to level this mountain for my own daughter but somebody's got to stand in the gap for all of these kids so lo and behold I'm forming a nonprofit, a 501c3 and I thought to myself okay well what I really want to do I don't want to just do something local I don't want to do an adaptive dance class anybody could do that Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was reshape the way rehabilitation is done in America for children with cerebral palsy that's a pretty lofty
1: goal you're not just trying to uh, raise money to support families who obviously have, you know, I'm sure there's lots of uh, economic needs you have and it must cost a lot of money to the therapy and all the things. You're not just trying to support, you're trying to change.
2: No, I'm trying to change absolutely because that's where the success for these and the long-term prognosis improvements is going to happen for these kids. So we decided to I pulled together a local team of people, a doctorate of physical therapy from USC and two extraordinary 20-year dance professionals. We took what we learned from the research that i told you about mm-hmm. and we designed a very innovative protocol that morphs elements of physical therapy with classical ballet technique in the presence of live music mm-hmm. we make sure that we're infusing magic in it because we do have to speak to the dream of these children yeah. it did start with the dream
1: you gotta reach down into their soul and find something there yeah
2: but but that's the protocol that we started developing and, and lo and behold um, a couple of months passed and one day i got a call from uh, a very well respected pedi- pediatric orthopedic surgeon of Chalk Children's Hospital in Orange County mm-hmm. saying, Debbie, this is like so amazing. I'm hearing what you're doing. Not only do we, Chalk Orthopedic Institute, want to collaborate with you, but would you be willing to collaborate with UCI? I said, absolutely, I'll consider that. So lo and behold, as of this very moment, um, we are about to start a therapeutic dance intervention um, that is a a very revolutionary multi-institutional collaboration between Children's Cerebral Palsy Movement, two different departments at UCI, chalk children's orthopedic institute and chapman university
1: and through that then they can publish this in uh scholarly publications and and uh, do some research and help spread the word this isn't just anecdotal evidence of one mother who helped her daughter anymore this becomes something that they can study and share
2: well exactly because you know we're bathing the entire thing in science and scientific measurement at the end of this eight week uh, intensive dance intervention. Not only will the kids be able to perform and have the pride of that, um, but we're going to have data to analyze and we're going to be able to write upwards of four or more scientific papers yeah. that go to the National Institutes of Health that right. we believe... So people
1: take this seriously. This yeah. has become something that becomes uh, orthodox uh, treatment for these children.
2: Well, Paul, I'm putting a stake in the ground right here because but we what we aim to prove is that cerebral palsy is a diagnosis and not a destiny and we believe that our data is going to support that. And I have to tell you something very surprising. At our launch party back in April, this same doctor I mentioned to you from Chalk Hospital stood up and said something very surprising to the entire audience. He said, I have not seen something, medically speaking, this revolutionary and exciting since the early days of the March of Dimes in the 1930s and 40s when mother, impassioned mothers, fed-up mothers wouldn 't take it anymore uh, the condition that their children were in, and they started going door to door collecting dimes that in aggregate ended up funding the Salk vaccine that, mm-hmm. in our lifetime, virtually eradicated polio yes, exactly. and He looked out at the room and he pointed, he pointed to everyone and he said, "You take a look at this organization. this is not the last that you hear of them." Because what they're doing is revolutionary. We're part of it. We're a part of it now. And this, my friends, is the wave of the future of medicine.
1: Wow. Well, I don't even know how to top that. You're on. You're on the wave of the future of radio. Here, we think this live podcasting platform is a way not only to reach a live audience, but to reach people for years to come. I hope that this recording that we make in this podcast will get shared and passed from. Uh, person to person to give them hope sounds like you found something that dramatically changes the outlook of cerebral palsy patients and the parents who previously had no hope
2: well, yes, yeah, so, you know, we're so thankful that you've invited us on. But one thing I would be remiss if I didn't mention is that Children's Cerebral Palsy Movement is actually responsible for all the fundraising that actually funds this research. And research, as you know, Paul, is very expensive. Very so expensive. So if there are any... Any members of your audience that are listening, corporations uh, or individuals, anybody that's been inspired, I would ask you to, you know, please give me a call. Take a look at our website. We desperately need funding. Um, We'd love to have some professional services volunteer donated to us because the thing that's amazing is we're doing all of this largely on a voluntary basis. Yeah,
1: right. All right, so give us some numbers. Give us some websites. How do people reach you to learn about this new revolutionary approach to what was once seen as a disease that can't be improved upon? You've come up with some exciting studies. You've done it with your own daughter. And was she able to dance? Was she able to do the ballet? Was she able to live her dream out of this?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. She's going to be entering the dance studio along with 10 other kids, and we're going to be just you know marveling at that uh, come early july so i hope you'll keep track of us i hope
1: you will too and i hope you'll tell us if people can come out and see that so give us some websites phone numbers how do they find you how do they get involved
2: we can be found at www.childrenscerebralpalsymovement.org
1: and spell cerebral because it I, I again it's spelled cerebral so that's why i want to say it that way but traditionally it's been pronounced without the r in it so, so.
2: the cerebral is c e r e b r a l so children's plural cerebral palsy p a l s y movement dot org and at my telephone is 714-746-4085 714 714- 746-4085 and if anyone's interested, we're going to actually be uh, in person all day tomorrow from uh, from 11 to 6 at Whole Foods in Fashion Island, so oh, you could wow. come and talk to us there.
1: Okay, well, uh, I encourage people to go out. I love the name of it, calling it a movement because you're obviously dealing with creating movement in these children that have terrible trouble moving you're you're teaching them showing them uh, rewiring helping them rewire their brains so they can move again in ways they didn't think were possible like dancing And hopefully it's a movement. Hopefully it changes the way the world views this and the way the community diagnoses it and deals with it here. It's a movement to change things.
2: Well, absolutely. And we believe that at the intersection of art and science, life change can begin. And we aim to prove that.
1: Okay. Well, I can't top all these quotes you've got. You came well prepared, and I'm very inspired, and I urge everybody to look at it again. Give us the website one last time.
2: Children's Cerebral Palsy Movement www dot plural
1: so children's right
2: c e r e b r a l like cerebral cerebral right? palsy p a l s y movement m o v e m-e-n-t movement, dot org, and we're on facebook at children's cerebral palsy movement so we hope you'll check us out and we thank you so much for inviting us on today
1: join the movement share the share the knowledge share the hope all right thank you so much we'll be right back right after another word from our sponsor
3: if you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great Board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Marketing predictions are out for 2015 and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed, And what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority? Contact SUNUP Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. on the observation deck of the Empire State Building to demonstrate how much material waste management recycles. As North America's largest residential recycler, last year alone, waste management recycled 12.9 million tons. How much is that? Let's do the math. Carry the six. It's enough to fill this building more than 27 times. With experience like that, we're bound to have a program that can help your business recycle. Talk to waste management or visit thinkgreen.com.